Are you ready for the quantum age? Humanity's next step in evolution? Dream Vision 7 Radio Network invites you to the extraordinary platform of evolutionary voices for the quantum age. Let's explore. Learn more about this upcoming age where we bridge science with spirituality. Where potentiality meets reality. Where we take compassion into action. Our trailblazers and visionaries will ask the whys, the what ifs, while igniting continuous possibility. Come along with us into an age beyond what we know today, where we can grow together in unity consciousness. Experience evolutionary voices for the quantum age, Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Eastern on DreamVision7Radio.com. Welcome to What's in Your Way is the Way with your host, Mary O'Malley, inviting you to open to the radical notion that in your life, whatever you perceive to be in your way is the way. In other words, your challenges, whether they be relationships, compulsions, finances, or illness, come with gifts embedded in them that can bring healing and allow you to experience the joy of being fully alive. Mary is a counselor, awakening mentor, inspirational speaker, and the author of What's in the Way is the Way, the gift of our compulsions, belonging to life, and the magical forest of aliveness. What's in Your Way is the Way with Mary O'Malley is part of Evolutionary Voices for the Quantum Age. Heard Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Eastern on the Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. Welcome. To what's in your way is the way, and I'm your host, Mary O'Malley, and today we are exploring the art of moving beyond struggling with life. The Innocent Mistake The innocent mistake that keeps us caught in our own particular style of ignorance, unkindness, and shutdownness is that we are never encouraged to see clearly what is, with gentleness. Instead, there's a kind of basic misunderstanding that we should try to be better than we already are, that we should try to improve ourselves, that we should try to get away from painful things. Then we would be happy. This is the innocent, naive misunderstanding that we all share, which keeps us unhappy. Meditation is about seeing clearly the body we have, the mind we have, the domestic situation we have, the job we have, the people who are in our lives. It's about seeing how we react to all these things. It's seeing our emotions and thoughts just as they are right now. In this very moment, in this very room, on this very seat. It's about not trying to make them go away, not trying to become better than we are, but just seeing clearly with precision and gentleness. The problem is that the desire to change is fundamentally a form of aggression towards yourself. The other problem is that our hang-ups unfortunately or fortunately, contain our wealth. Pema Chodron In the seeing is the movement. Meditation is about anchoring your boat so you don't go out with the tides. 
Joan Borisinko. In my mid-twenties, I was hospitalized during a stay in Europe. My life had come crashing down around me. A week before I entered the hospital, I was told that if I didn't stop all the destructive behaviors I was engaging in, I had only five months to live. My response was that I knew I would die. Everything I tried to make me better had failed, driving me deeper into a labyrinth of struggle. Drugs, alcohol, and overeating were the only things that numbed me enough that I didn't have to feel an almost constant, debilitating shame, and I wasn't willing to give them up. A year later, on the day I arrived home from Europe, I tried to take my life, only to have my stomach pumped out in time. Two other attempts at suicide also failed, driving me deeper into the world of self-hatred and despair. Then, one gentle spring weekend, my mother gave me the gift of a workshop with Joel Kramer. He was a Hatha yoga teacher who taught much more than just physical postures. He taught the art of seeing what is. As he talked about the power of awareness, I felt a ray of sunshine flooding the dark and dreary labyrinth I had lived in for so long. For a brief moment, I recognized that I was awareness itself. I was that which sees the stories that move through my mind all day long, rather than the stories themselves. I could also see that the path I had been taking, constantly trying to make myself different or better than I felt I was, would not take me beyond struggle. For moments, I connected with a clarity and peace greater than anything I had ever consciously known. The next time Joel came to town, I took in a tape recorder and recorded the whole weekend. I then went home and transcribed every word. I still couldn't hold on to whatever it was that brought forth the clarity and the peace. The words and concepts would seep through my consciousness as quickly as water through sand. After having spent a number of weekends with him, I had distilled what I was hearing down to a few words. I went to him and said, what I'm hearing is, in the seeing is the movement. It's not in the fixing, changing, and rearranging of all the states of mind and body we so try to control. The healing is in the seeing, the ability to relate to them rather than from them. He smiled as he said yes. I went on to say, it seems that the whole sentence should be, in the seeing is the movement, until the observer and the observed become one. What does that mean? With a twinkle in his eyes, he said, go find out. This is what this book is about. Experiencing what it means when he says, the observer and the observed become one. It's about discovering the experience of having one's mind, body, and heart all in the same place at the same time. This is not most people's experience of life. 
lost inside of stories about life, cut off from the living experience, a good deal of our energy is spent in manipulating the stories in our head. We try to get rid of the parts we don't like, and we try to find and nail the parts that we do. But at our essence is something that lies beyond the story, beyond the constantly wanting and fearing mind. The peace we long for is already here, right now. We don't need to try to get to it. We need to see the stories that cover it the way a fog bank hides the harbor. Every moment of recognizing what is happening in the mind without falling into identification with it is a moment of not being caught in your stories. It is a moment of freedom. These moments then become the movement that takes us beyond the constant struggle that we live in most of the time and thus allows us to be fully alive. The part of us that can see the story in our heads is awareness. Let's take a moment to explore this. Allow a few long, slow outbreaths to quiet everything down. And then think of a wonderful memory, possibly holiday times as a child with all the anticipation and joy. Now, shift your attention into planning your day tomorrow. Notice how it takes a moment to settle in. Get into the details. Now, shift again into a fantasy. What would it be like to win the lottery? Put some juice into it. Shifting your attention again, notice the emotions that come from this fantasy. Finally, shift back into the room we are sitting and hear the sounds of life around you as they arise and pass away. Notice that with all of these shifts, there is something that is steady and constant, something that can perceive what is happening. It can tell the difference between a thought, an emotion, a sensation, a fantasy, or a memory. This is awareness, the ability to see what is. Most of the time, our attention is focused on our experiences, enmeshed in the world of thoughts, feelings, and sensations as they appear and disappear in our lives. Thus, our awareness is slumbering in a drowsy blindness of our busy minds. Freedom comes when we can watch our experience rather than being lost in it. In the summer of 1996, I broke my ankle while hiking with my son. At the same time, my mother was approaching her death in a city six hours away from me. I had spent the last few months traveling back and forth, becoming intimately involved with my mother's process. Slow progress with my ankle made it seem difficult or even impossible for me to be with her and I began to struggle with what was happening. 
Also, with little exercise, I felt like a toilet that hadn't been flushed. One morning, I awoke into the labyrinth of struggle, completely lost in a fit of resistance. As I sat down for my quiet time, my mind said, Oh, good, at least there will be a little peace now. It was focused on, let's get out of this state and into a better one. Of course, it didn't work. Trying to get into peace only created more grasping, resistance, and fear. I was so caught in struggle that I had totally forgotten about paying attention. Finally, awareness kicked in. What is, it asked, what is right now? In other words, what is happening here? In a flash, my attention moved out of identification with my spinning and resisting thoughts, and I became deeply curious. In response to the question, what is the experience of my life right now, I could see that my mind was caught in wanting things to be different than they are. In asking the question, what is, I began to relate to the thoughts in my head rather than being lost in them. It was like I had been in a whirling washing machine and all of a sudden I was standing outside of it, watching the clothes being tossed around. As I stayed with the question, what is, I began to feel more spacious around what was happening. As my field of awareness opened, I connected with the overall experience of not feeling well. I was able to intimately feel without fear and judgment the subtle flu-like feelings all over my body. As my attention became more focused, I made contact with the tightness in my solar plexus, the fist of resistance. As I settled there, I could then see, without falling into them, the voices that fueled the contractions in my stomach. I listened to the song of grief that came from not being able to be there for my mother, the deep chant of fear that she would die before I saw her again, and the litany of rage that spoke of how seemingly unfair life can be at times. Rather than identifying with these voices, I made space for them, remembering that they were all just a part of the passing show of my stories. Slowly, my belly began to soften and my heart opened. I realized that the roots of these feelings went much deeper than the experience of not being able to be with my mother. The grief and rage were core support beams in the labyrinth of my stories. By relating to them rather than being lost in them, I began to find the place beyond the stories. With great joy, I could now use attention to watch the struggle of my mind and not identify with it. Everything began to come back into balance. My mind became quieter, my body felt better, and my heart trusted that I would again be with my mother exactly when I was supposed to be. Of course, when an urgent thought would again capture my attention, off I would go, and the thought would flow into another and then another, and pretty soon I would wind my way back into struggle again. But then the discomfort of the struggle would wake me up again. 
Reasking the question, what is, would take me back into a keen curiosity about what my story was doing and into a sense of merciful spaciousness. For the rest of my quiet time, I went back and forth, identifying with the struggle, waking up to what is, and stabilizing in deep curiosity, only to become caught in my mind again. But every time I became caught in the whirlwind of the stories, I was able to step back into awareness by asking, what is? And then simply watch the thoughts and feelings that were now flowing through me. And as I did so, everything became lighter and clearer. Why are moments of seeing what is, rather than identifying with it, so powerful? Because it is awareness in action. We are not the stories in our minds. We are awareness itself. This is the spacious field of our true nature. When we focus this awareness, it becomes attention. The ability to be present and deeply curious about exactly what is right now, rather than being lost in it. In the past, we have used struggle to try to get out of struggle, only to find ourselves still enmeshed. Attention is the doorway out of the labyrinth of our minds. It is the only activity that can take us beyond our story because it is the only place that is bigger than the struggles in our minds, including the struggle to become free. Awareness doesn't fight with what is, nor does it wish it to be any different. It is simply willing to see it. Through attention, we discover more and more moments of being immediately with life. We also become able to see with great compassion and deep curiosity the stories that take us away. The more we see the stories in our head, the more they thin like the morning fog that is touched by the warm rays of the sun. And the more they thin, the more we are here. And the more we are here, the more we can see the stories. Slowly and surely, we become bigger than the labyrinth of the struggling mind and know the breathtaking joy of belonging to life. Bringing awareness to the story. Those by chance who have likened our lives to a dream were more right by chance than they realized. C. E. Montague we have been exploring step by step the ability to be awake to life. We are now ready to shine the light of our attention on all the stories in our heads. As long as we identify with the conversation in our mind, we will be unable to see that what we think of as ourselves is simply a story. It is a story that is woven out of our experiences and is full of ideas about ourselves and our lives, keeping us away from truly experiencing life itself. To be able to see our stories gives us great freedom. 
Many years ago, I had an experience that clearly highlights the healing that comes from being able to see the conversations in our heads. I was a single parent for most of the time my children were growing up. We lived very simply and at times even less than that. I had received a $10,000 settlement, more money than I'd ever seen up to that point in my life. The temptation was to spend it on so many things I felt we needed, but I also knew I had no backup set aside for emergencies. Long-term goals went out and I decided I should invest it. Having never had money, I didn't have a clue about what to do, so I called a friend and she connected me with her financial advisor. After explaining my financial situation, he said he had just the thing for me. After a few days, a stack of official papers arrived with a note saying that the investment would take care of itself for five years, and then I would need to invest $2,000 every year thereafter. Being a fairly trusting individual and also being highly uneducated around money, I filed it away. Four and a half years later, I called him only to find out that he had moved to Mexico. The first feelings of trepidation began to appear. Tracking down the parent company, I discovered that what I thought I had invested in and what really happened were two different things. On my way to meeting with a new financial advisor, I was still operating on the belief that I could receive a good deal of my initial investment, so my mind was fairly quiet. It was one of those breathtakingly beautiful winter days in the northwest where the first hints of spring were in the air. Crocuses were appearing, heralding the soon-to-arrive celebration of all the other spring blossoms. On the drive downtown, I was either fully here or was able to easily return, being present with the garage attendant and with the people in the elevator. As I got off on the 40th floor, I was greeted by the view of Puget Sound. The Olympic Mountains were pristine white with snow, framed by the exquisite blue of both sky and water, and I was very glad to be alive. When I left his office an hour later, instead of being present, I was caught in the web of my stories. He not only told me that I would be lucky to get back a fraction of my investment, but he also said that the original advisor had pocketed a $10,000 commission. Lost in my story of helplessness, I felt violated, abused, used, stupid, inept, and enraged. Needless to say, I didn't notice the view on the way out of his office, nor could I connect with anyone on the elevators and escalators as I descended into the garage. I had a number of choices of what to do with this state of mind that so thoroughly had me caught in its grip. I could try to rise above it, thinking positive thoughts. I could ignore it by either denying or numbing. I did think briefly about stopping and getting something to eat, even though I was not hungry. I could stay lost in it, caught in the whirlpool of my mind, or I could become curious about it. Having cultivated deep curiosity about the unfolding of my life, it didn't take very long before curiosity cut through the upheaval. The first thing that captured my attention when I asked the question, what is, was a sharp pain in my wrist. My whole body had become contracted, reflecting the struggle in my mind, and I was gripping the steering wheel tightly. There was clearly much more going on than just a sore wrist, so I asked again, what is? 
At first, nothing was very clear because the story in my mind was so loud and overwhelming, but repeatedly I brought myself back into the actual sensations of the present moment. I could feel the rage, the sense of injustice, and the fear for my financial future. A piece of me wanted to revel in the experiences of self-pity and righteous anger, but I had been awake too long to easily forget the price my body and heart paid for this level of chaos and confusion. With great compassion, I acknowledged that I was lost in a very, very contracted part of my story. Without judgment, I met each voice as it ricocheted throughout my body and screamed through my mind. With this spacious and focused attention, my body relaxed, my heart opened, and my mind calmed down. I moved from the victim's stance into one of empowerment. I recognized that money will always come and go, and I chose not to let its abundance or its scarcity define my life. As I arrived home, I found again that I was in that centered place where clarity and wisdom abide and where I felt deeply grateful to be alive. Asking what is brings our attention from the struggling mind into engagement with the living moment. This not only connects us to life, but also allows us to see the stories that take us away. Freedom comes when we can bring the full light of our attention to our stories. This art of seeing thought, rather than always trying to fix it, change it, or rearrange it, or just be lost in it, is the doorway into the field of awareness that thought is flowing through, the field of peace and joy we long for. Initially, this can be very scary. Many people have voiced the fear, but what will I be without all the stories in my head? That question is an indication of how long and far away we have traveled from a true connection with life. For what we will be is someone who has let go of struggling with life and instead knows how to trust it enough that we can stay in touch with the truth within us that knows how to respond to life, how to dance with life. Cultivating Awareness Don't think. Don't get lost in your thoughts. Your thoughts are a veil on the face of the moon. That moon is your heart. And those thoughts cover your heart. So let them go. Just let them fall into the water. Rumi We have been caught inside our stories for so long that it does take effort to learn how to see our stories and to discover that underneath all of their noise rests the living moment, the place that is our home. While we all experience great joy in connecting with the living moment of our lives, it soon becomes evident that even with the best of intentions to be present, the tides of thought can easily capture our attention again. The most skillful way I know to become bigger than the endless conversation in our head is to set aside time every day to strengthen the muscle of your attention and then learn how to use it to watch the stories in your head, the stories that you think you are. I call this a returning practice. 
Some people would call it meditation, but that word has so much baggage around it. Have tos, can'ts, shoulds, won'ts. Calling it a returning practice reminds us that this is not about doing something right to get to a better place. It is about returning to ourselves, returning to life. It is about bringing our attention out of our constantly becoming mind and returning it to the living experience of life, gifting ourselves with our own healing attention. A returning practice is a very different way to meditate. It is a fundamental departure from the old paradigm which saw meditation as the act of stopping thought or of creating better states of mind. A returning practice is about focusing on what is right now rather than trying to create something different. It is the art of reconnecting with life exactly as it is appearing in this moment, including both the vibrancy of the living moment and the veil of thinking we place over it all. In this exploration, we can then discover that who we really are is that which can see thought rather than thought itself. For most of us, the muscle of our attention is flaccid, having been pulled around by the labyrinth of thought for so many years. We can usually only pay attention for a moment or two before thought captures us again. Wes Nisker, who had an ongoing column in the periodical Inquiring Mind, once wrote a humorous piece about the wandering mind called Empty Thoughts on a Full Stomach. The following are excerpts from this hilarious piece that says a lot about how busy our minds are. In breath, out breath. I'm resolved to stay mindful this hour. In breath. Oh, just move my knee a little over here. There. Out breath. Maybe I could count. In breath one, out breath. In breath two, out breath. If I get to 25, I'll start over. In breath, whoa, did I just miss one? Can't remember. Okay. In breath one, did I just judge myself? Out breath. Judging the judging. Oh, no. Judging the judging of the judging. What a mess these synapses are. Luckily, it's not me. It's just synapses firing. Sin apes or sin snaps. Oh, that's cute. I, I gotta write it down later. Okay. In breath one, out breath. In breath two. Oh, now we're getting down to it. Let me take you down, cause I'm going soon. Strawberry Fields. What a great song that is. I wonder whatever happened to Sweet Sue. The Park Days. Am I less optimistic than I used to be? Optimistic. Optical mistake. Or optimal mystic. Oh, God, God that's clever. Okay, no, time to meditate. In breath one, out breath. In breath two, oh, or is that three? 
I've been in the zone for at least five minutes. My mind has been destroyed by rock and roll, rocks in my head, and too much thinking. If that's what you call this stream of lower consciousness, I'm just a smelly chemical stew pot. Descartes should have said, I stink, therefore I am. Oh God, got to remember that one. Okay, in breath one, out breath. In breath two, now I'm getting into the rhythm. In breath three, if I just sit for this hour, I will go for a walk. Out breath. Or go sit in the dining room and watch yogis. I wonder if this cute girl is with the guy she came to registration with. What great posture. What great eyes. Uh-oh, here comes some of the dirty movies. Forget it. It's not useful. Not making me feel better. Lust, 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 lusting, lusted. Hey, it went away. Mindfulness strikes again. Okay, back to the breath. Get serious. In breath one, I could die in the next minute. Out breath. In breath two, out breath. In breath three, out breath. All right. I feel the space in my mind starting to expand. In breath four, out breath. In breath five, nice, nice, I like it. Out breath. In breath six, a little peace. Out breath. I should sit more often. In breath seven, nothing is real, nothing to get hung about. Strawberry fields forever. Even though this is humorous, it's not too far away from what we experience all day long, identifying with thoughts wherever it goes. In order to not always be lost in thought, we need to strengthen the muscle of our attention. This is done by choosing a primary focus, a place where our attention can not only rest, but can return to over and over again when we find it captured in the web of our story. This focusing can be done during our returning practice, while driving down the road, while eating or washing our hands. Any moment in our lives can be used as a focusing moment. It is best if the focus, rather than being a word, a mantra, or a concept, is something we are actually experiencing. It is a wondrous moment when we discover that underneath the ceaseless becoming of our minds are the sensations of aliveness. No matter what thought is doing, our hearts are beating. A symphony of sounds is unfolding all around us and within us, and our breath is continually rising and falling. All of these can be used as a focus, and as we allow the wandering mind to rest in these sensations, it comes to a place of calm and clarity. Anything in the field of sensations can be used as a focus. Sound sore knee, our breath. If we choose listening, we can become intensely fascinated by the constantly changing dance of sounds all around us and in us, each one entirely brand new. If we choose focusing on a pain in our knee, it becomes fascinating to see how movable and changeable it is. If we choose breath, we can discover the joy of riding these rhythmic waves. The focus becomes a sanctuary in which we can rest for a moment out of the ceaseless becoming of our minds. 
This kind of focusing where we aren't trying to go anywhere, do anything, or become anybody reconnects us with the living moment of our lives. Breath as the primary ground. You know that our breathing is the inhaling and exhaling of air. The organs that serve for this are the lungs that lie around the heart, so that all the air passing through them thereby envelops the heart. Thus, breathing is a natural way to the heart. Nikiforus the Solitary Whatever you choose as a focus becomes an anchor, a place to return to over and over again. While anything can be a focus, breath has advantages that have been recognized and cultivated for eons. The most basic gift it holds is that it is with us in every single moment of our life. Each experience we've had since the moment we were born has been accompanied by breath. Feel it now as you are listening, rhythmically rising and falling. It was there when you first learned how to ride a bike, fell in love, showed up for your first job, learned how to swim, or sucked your thumb. And every single one of those breaths mirrored what was happening in your mind. When you were contented and safe, your breath was open and free. When you were caught and struggling, it became tight and contracted. When you were exhilarated, it became rapid and strong. And while you're deep asleep, it was slow and gentle. It is a rhythmic, ever-changing, and wondrously fascinating river to pay attention to. Breath is our connection with life. It is no accident that the literal meaning of inspiration is in-breath. Breath is the space in which spirit and matter meet, where the invisible becomes visible. As we learn how to pay attention to our breath, it draws us into the still, clear pool of insight, clarity, support, and love that is waiting us at the center of our being. Resting in our breath is like diving under the surface of a stormy sea where it's quiet and calm. Breath is also the place where we can see that something bigger than us is in charge of this dance called life. We are breathing. At the same time, we are being breathed. If you doubt this, just try to stop breathing. Before I began to awaken, I created an illusion of safety by shallow breathing in order to hold back the terrors that I believe life held. I often had a tight fist in my solar plexus as I contracted my diaphragm, cutting off the possibility of a full breath. When I discovered the safety of the living moment, my breath clamored to be free. It became clear whenever I was lost in the stories in my head, my breath would be tight. So my breath became an exquisite biofeedback mechanism. Many states of mind screamed that they were real and absolutely necessary, but all I had to do was notice whether this state opened or closed my breath, opened me to life, or kept me caught in the labyrinth of struggle. If my breath was tight, I knew I was lost in my mind. I began to breathe deeply in cars, in theaters, standing in line at the post office. 
These moments went beyond the restless sea of my mind, and they became much appreciated sanctuaries and began to enliven and heal my body as well. Slowly, breath began to reweave the tattered threads of trust. Rediscovering the river of breath taught me that I was not alone in this process. It revealed to me the rhythm with which universal intelligence orchestrates life. This rhythm is inherent in the dance of the planets around the sun, the ebb and flow of the tides, the drumbeat of our hearts. It shows up in the music of the seasons, the cycles of birth and death, and even our breath. The great sea of life is swelling and receding, rising and falling all around us, in us, and as us. Our bodies are but a small inlet in a great rhythmic sea of intelligence, and we can deeply connect and attune with this sea through our breath. To learn to pay attention to breath exactly as it is appearing is to open a book of wisdom. And as we make a commitment to return to it over and over again, it will take us into the deeper regions of truth that exist in the core of our being. So let us explore a conscious breath. As you listen, incorporate as much as you can and then turn off the recording, and go deeper. Bring your attention to the space you're sitting in. All the millions moments of your life have brought you to this moment, and it is the only moment where your life is truly happening. Now bring your curiosity to your body, recognizing the river of sensations that flow through your body, warmth, pressure, pain, tightness. Take a few minutes and allow the experience of your body to develop like a Polaroid picture. As your attention settles in, notice there is something quite dramatic happening, the rising and the falling of your breath. It is the great river of life passing through you, arriving from the sweet breath of babies the gifts of cedar trees, and even from the age of dinosaurs. Breathe in life in your next breath, and then let it go. It is true you are breathing, but it is also true that something far greater than you is breathing you. Let go of doing your breath, and allow yourself to be breathed by life. As you rest in this great dynamic rhythm of life, the mind will again capture your attention. To stay connected, become very curious about how this breath feels as it flows in and out through your body. Do your shoulders move? Rest your attention there for a few moments and see what is happening. How about your arms? And if they move, how far down into your arms does movement happen? When you're ready, move to your back and see if you can feel your breath there. As you explore each of these places, stay a while before you move on.
Does your belly rise and fall, or is it quiet? Do your clothes move with you, or is there a place where they subtly rub against your skin? Can you feel the air caressing the inside of your nostrils? If so, how far back into the nostrils do you feel the air? Now choose a place in your body where you're most aware of your breath and allow your attention to settle there, riding the rhythmic flow of life. Recognize that your breath is a circle. In breath, opening your body until the circle begins to turn into an out breath and the letting go that is an out breath. The pause in between and then the swelling of the in breath again. Ride the circle, staying focused as much as possible on the living experience of your breath. If your mind gets bored, bring it back to curiosity. Explore the differences between an in-breath and an out-breath. Or become fascinated by the length of the pause in between. Your thoughts will be repeatedly taking you away from this sanctuary. The power is not in staying on the breath. The power is in returning over and over again. For the next few minutes, pause the recording and whenever you find yourself lost in thought as you ride the waves of your breath, gently return to the actual experience of breath. To end, give thanks for the gift of these breaths and the ones to come. And when you are ready, open your eyes. We live in a society that loves stimulation. Caffeine, action-packed movies, uh, apps on our phone. After a few minutes on something so seemingly bland as a breath, the mind may become bored and start looking for excitement. It goes out to the future and creates a wonderful fantasy, or it may rehash yesterday's events, judging everyone's performance, including your own, or it will drift off into daydreams until with a start you remember that you are focusing on your breath. The key to giving ourselves the gift of a daily returning time is to know that a returning practice is not about staying focused on the breath. It took me years to understand this. If we say that we must stay focused on the breath, and a good returning practice is measured by how much we are there, then we will still be caught in struggle. The healing comes in returning over and over again whenever we've drifted off into the stories in our head, and we will drift off into them. We've only been tracking thought for decades, but every moment we return, we are not only strengthening the muscle of our attention, we are also clearing a pathway back into life. At the beginning, it will be as faint as a deer trail, but every time you return, the path widens and becomes clear. The deeper we go into listening to ourselves, the more we see that it is not only in returning that we become clear, but it is also in how we return. For a long time in my returning practice, when I noticed I was again lost in thought, I would force myself back. 
chastising myself for having been gone, and now I can gently with great tenderness bring my attention back to my breath. At times, our stories can be so loud and persistent that it's difficult to keep track of our breath. Words silently said to yourself can be a skillful way to remind you that you are paying attention to your breath. It can be as simple as counting the in-breaths up to 10, and if you space out, you simply start at one again. No judgments, even if you never got past one. We can also say in-breath turn, out-breath turn. Another favorite of mine is here on the in-breath and now on the out-breath. Thich Nhat Hanh, the world-renowned Buddhist monk, human rights activist, and author of many books and poems, created a wonderful meditation for the children as a retreat center in France. He suggested that they find ten small stones and hold them in one hand. As they meditated, they would say these words silently to themselves. The first word at each pair is said on the in-breath, and the second word is said on the out-breath. And the last line, the first two words are said on the in-breath. And the last two words on the out-breath. In, out. Deep, slow. Calm, ease. Smile. Release. Present moment. Wonderful moment. At the end of each round of words, he told them to shift one of the ten stones to the other hand. When all the stones had been shifted, they were then invited to either do a... When all the stones had been shifted, they were then invited to do another ten rounds or... Simply explore their breath exactly as it is. When the adults in the community learned of this meditation, they began doing it and teaching others how to do it. It has now traveled many times around the world, touching numerous lives. Even though breath has been proven to be a skillful focus, it may not be the one for you. Because I have been deeply scared out of my body when I was young, in the beginning it was terrifying for me to even contemplate paying attention to my body or breath. So I used sight to ground myself here, describing colors and shapes in the room I was in. Then, when it became safe enough to close my eyes, my primary focus was a symphony of sounds. Over time, I began to inch my way into my body and eventually into my breath. Know that our minds will be gone a good deal of the time. In our old beliefs around meditation, we believe that we are supposed to do something with thought, transform it, get rid of it, or get above it. Trying to do this, however, usually creates more thought, causing us frustration, which results in becoming part-time meditators or closet failures. We may go wandering around in the thinking mind for five minutes or more before awareness kicks in and says, Oh, I'm lost in thought. When we notice we are gone, we simply return to the breath, even if we can only stay there for half of a breath. Every moment of returning is more powerful than you can imagine. 
a participant at one of my retreats was sitting by a pool caught in the struggling mind. When awareness kicked in and she again returned to the living moment, her mind tried to catch her into struggle again by commenting that just a few moments of returning wasn't enough. Wisdom opened her up again by reminding her that the pond in front of her had been created from drops of water. Our healing happens in the same way. From a moment here and a moment there, when we reconnect with life, a pool of peace and connection is cultivated. In time, this peace, rather than the struggling mind, slowly becomes the ground of your being. Are you willing to give yourself a gift of a few minutes a day of a returning practice? Gift it, not only for yourself, but for all beings on our beleaguered and challenged world. Every time you return, even if it's just for a moment, you make a difference in the healing on our planet. Calling all authors. Have you been considering an audiobook? Well, look no further. Come take advantage of Dream Vision 7 Radio Network's unique in-house audiobook production, which includes benefits and bonuses from our radio station. Let our knowledgeable staff guide you to create the audiobook you've always dreamed of without breaking the bank. Check out our full one-stop service from A to Z, including the ACX process. Schedule a free consultation by calling 508-226-1723. That's 508-226-1723. Or go to dreamvision7radio.com. Thank you for listening to this edition of What's in Your Way is the Way with your host, Mary O'Malley. You can access Mary's offerings on her websites, maryomalley.com and whatsintheway.com. Join Mary next time to experience the peace and joy that is always with you on Evolutionary Voices for the Quantum Age. Heard Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Eastern on the Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. This is Dream Vision 7 Radio Network, uniting mankind with universal love. Our shows are created from the heart, bringing each listener to a place of divine enlightenment. Breathe, relax, and enjoy. Let life flow.